What does it take to win? What does it take to be a winner? I'm here to answer those questions, and today I'm joined by Elliot Eccles, the political director of the RNC. We are recording this on election eve, so it's awesome that Elliot took time out of his incredibly busy schedule to chat. You'll be hearing this after the election, and I'm betting we will have just one big time across the nation. Elliot is overseeing much of the field program that made the wins possible, so listen up. He knows how to win. So one more day, one more day. How you feel? I'm good. I honestly, the thing that I love so much about campaigns is like, to me, they're really hard. Um, the hard work, the, the intentionality goes so much like further back than September or October. Like I started this job February 1st of 2021. I mean, 2020 was still, I mean, we, we were less than a month out of the Georgia runoff um, when I started this job and we had to get to it. We had to figure out all the the pieces in place and start figuring out battleground states and districts and what everything looked like. And that was, that to me is always the most rewarding part of a campaign. I, I, I love being here till midnight on, you know, in March of an off year. Yeah. Um, but you know, now I'm just, I'm so proud of the, the hard work that the team did, which like it, that makes me feel good, but I just get so anxious uh, as, as we get closer to election day. And I, I like to think that I have a lot of discipline. I don't have a lot of patience. Right. And me. So, that's like, me. That's me. That sums up me. So like, you just wanted to be here. Are you tired? I got in, I got in late. I got in after midnight last night. We, uh, uh, I got to, I flew down to McAllen, Texas, uh, with Chairman McDaniel, uh, future Speaker McCarthy, uh, and some others, uh, down for the, uh, a big GOTV rally we had with Monica de la Cruz, Cassie Garcia, and Myra Flores. Nice. Um, but and so we got back late, but had to get up, hit the gym 5 a.m., uh, get going again. So, the the adrenaline right now is is keeping me going way more than any extra hour of sleep that I need. So, what do you do? You are when you hit the gym. Are you doing CrossFit or are you just are you going in and lifting? Now yeah. yeah, CrossFit. Nice. How you like that? Are you are you, are you are you like a big CrossFitter? Yeah, I've I've been at CrossFit gyms um, since 2013. Okay, nice. That's a long time. So it, it's really just like I like going in, and again, it's kind of like the discipline part. Like I I go in. I have one, I have 60 minutes and somebody's going to tell me what to do from minute one to minute 60. I can leave and it won't be the same thing as tomorrow or what I did yesterday either. So kind of breaks up the like monotony of like just exercising. Yeah, no, I hear you. I have a new strength coach because, you know, my foot's broken, so I can't run. So I'm just trying to put weight on for the first time, maybe ever, because, you know, I've been doing this endurance thing for you know, 12 years now, and I'm just a scrawny little bitch. So now for the first time, I'm trying to gain, uh, I'm up 18 pounds. I'm trying to get to like 25 pounds. What's, what's, uh, so 25 pounds, what does that get you to like over 200? No, no, that'd get me around, um, 192. So I was, I was under 170 coming off of so I was around 175 coming off of Ironman last year on November. And then I started training for that 100 miler. 
And despite eating all day, I was just shedding pounds, man. I couldn't keep it on. Yeah. And then, you know, I broke the foot on the hundred miler. It's been broken for a few months now. Can't really run. So I thought, you know, just take off the rest of the year because I'm I'm trying to train for the Leadville 100 next year. If you've ever uh-huh. heard of that, yeah. uh, which is one of the harder, uh, one of the hardest uh, ultra marathons in the world, really, definitely in the in America. So what I just did, figured. Uh- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just want to say. So I figured I'm just going to spend the rest of the year trying to bulk up, put on some muscle, and then go into my training in January. You were training or pacing somebody for a, a race in Leadville. Yeah. So do you know Terry Sullivan? No, of him. I don't okay. Know him. So Terry uh, is my long term, uh, long time political mentor. Uh, he hired me on Dement in 03, 04. And then Terry was campaign manager for Rubio for president, hired me for Rubio. But now he's in PR. He runs Firehouse Strategies right down the road from you guys. But what's interesting is Terry, um, he's a big uh, mountain climber. Like he's trying to, he wants to summit all the big ones. And I got him into running really just like two years ago. And he just like, he was like, fuck a marathon and everything else. I'm going to go straight for a hundred miles. And um, he didn't quite make it uh, all the way through Leadville, but he's going to do it again next year and ask me to not pace him, but run the whole thing. So Terry and I are going to start training here pretty soon, but it's, it's crazy, man, because it starts at 10,000 foot. So, you know, living down here on the coast. Just in the hotel, walking up the stairs, I was huffing and puffing. And I'm like, I consider myself a fit guy. It's just the oxygen is so low there. And um, I don't know if you have a whoop or not, but it tracks, you know, sleep. And, you know, my oxygen plummeted, my HRV plummeted. I woke up with like 8% recovery every day, just being at 10,000 foot. So I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, um, I'm sure you like listen to Goggins and some of those guys and, or Nick Bear and how they sleep in oxygen deprivation tank, uh, tents. Yeah. And, you know, in um, Jesse Etzler's book, he talked about how Goggins slept every night in oxygen deprivation tents. That's my plan. I'm going to buy one. And then early next year, you know, start sleeping in one. See how my wife likes it with a tent on one side of the bed. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Speaking of Goggins, I saw um, Cam Haynes has been kind of hanging out and doing some uh, like campaign events with uh, Christine Drazen, the uh, gubernatorial candidate. Yeah. I saw that he did stuff with Trump last time. But, you know, so Cam Haynes is kind of my fitness icon because I'm 42. He's 52 and he can run 100 miles and he's ripped to shreds. Right. So he's this ultimate hybrid athlete. And, you know, the problem with being this endurance athlete is most of us get super scrawny. And then the older we get, the older we look. So he's really the guy I want to be like, I want to put on a bunch of muscle, be able to keep it and run a hundred miles when I'm 52 years old. Yeah. And speaking of, before we get into uh, your story and then did I see on Twitter or Insta or something that you were brought up on one of the Jocko's podcasts recently? So uh, Ed Thielander. Um, guy running for Congress in uh, Maine's first district. Uh, he came by the RNC um, last year when he was like getting ready to run. A friend of mine was was running his campaign, um, and we met. and And he knew Jocko, and I was like, "Oh, like, well, come here." And um, when we started this, every person that joined the team they had to read Dichotomy of Leadership, one of Jocko's books. Love like it. Everybody, everybody read it when they when they start. Uh, and so he, at, in his podcast says like, oh, like I met, you know, I met this guy who runs, uh, you know, the, the RNC's political team and, and he makes everybody read your books. So like, he didn't like mention my name, oh, but it was cool like, it was, yeah. And so he, uh, I, 
I sent him a message and uh, Ed, he called me back and he was like, man, he was like, I was telling Jocko all about you guys. Like, man, they want to work with y'all. And he's like, and it, uh, cause Leif's dad, Jocko's business partner, he's a mm-hmm. Congress, he's a Republican congressman in Texas. I didn't know that. Yeah. Brian Babin. Oh, no shit. That is weird. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. Um, Oh, speaking of, uh, oh, well, first off, I'd make everybody here at the company read extreme ownership. Nice. Um, because I, I just find that I want everybody when they, I want, especially when they screw up, like just come in and tell me you screwed up. Let's, let's stop the blame game that you see in corporate world, the political world. Let's just take ownership of what we've messed up. And I think it's such a great book. Um, but I was just thinking back to the Leadville 100. And when I was there, I ran into Morgan Luttrell, oh, uh, yeah. Marcus Luttrell's brother. And, uh, and Morgan's running for Congress this year, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, he, he, he's going to be a congressman. He, oh, he's he is. A, okay. Yeah. He's uh he's in a Republican district, so he he'll be a congressman. So yeah, one of his buddies was running Leadville, and I ran into Morgan at the finish line of Leadville, which is like the the weirdest place you would expect to run into someone, yeah. right? And, yeah. and talk to him for a couple minutes. That was awesome. I mean, him and his brother, those are big dudes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marcus, you know, in in um Lone Survivor, he talks about how much he hates running and that he would never be a runner, yeah. even before yeah. all of his injuries. He's like, screw that shit. Yeah. But they're big dudes. Do you follow Nick Bear at all? Mm-hmm. I um, I use a lot of his supplements. He ran Leadville when I was up there. And, you know, he stood out because it was like a bull coming over the hills. That guy is so insanely massive. I can't believe he can run the way he can carrying that much muscle. Yeah. That's yeah. what I want. to. I'm never going to be that size, but I would like to be able to run 100 miles and have some muscle on me. That was, but, I mean, that, if if the pandemic for my fitness did anything, I mean, I started putting probably close to twenty miles a week back on again, like just like getting back out there and, and running. And I had this nice loop from my apartment down the mall all the way around uh, Lincoln Memorial and back was exactly six miles. So nice. it was a nice little loop I could get. Well, I've got something coming up soon where I'm going to have to be in Washington. Um, probably every Tuesday and Wednesday for a few months. So I'm going to hit you up and maybe start doing CrossFit with you. I've never done CrossFit before, so I would like to do it. A lot of the guys, you've done some Go Ruck events, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done like 15 of them. I was really big in that community, did a 50-hour uh, Normandy event, that HTL. But a lot of those guys are CrossFitters, and I've always wanted to try it. I just, you know, with the running and stuff, I never did. But I'll come up there and, and hit it up with you. What did What did you just do with some buddies? Um, oh, this weekend? Well, no, so, uh, maybe a couple weekends ago. Uh, oh, oh, okay. So you talking about when I was beating the shit out of those guys? Yeah. Okay. So um, basically, so we have a, a workout group called F3 here, um, Fitness Fellowship and Faith. So it's like a men's Christian workout group. We have boot camps every morning. Nice. And then we have a program called the Sheepdog, which is like this ex- extensive program that they have to go through for a year where they have to go through gun training and um, hand-to-hand combat and then they have to do a certain amount of these basically go ruck simulations. Um, and so they either have to do a go ruck event or we hold a go ruck event for them. And this was a 24 hour basically go ruck event, but it wasn't officially through go ruck. And because I had put in so many events, I've done at least 15 um, and a bunch of heavies, which are the 24 hour event. They asked me if I'd come in and just beat the snot out of these guys. Yeah. So I had them for six hours and um, they were, they were hurting bad, but I put it on, I put it on them, bro. There was no holding back. I, I love it. I love like, you know, I love participating in those, but just being able to beat the shit out of some guys is fun sometimes. 
it's, it like what you're, it's like what you're doing with your door knockers right now. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> we are we're we're cracking the whip right now. How many how many doors have you guys knocked on? Let's say in the last 30 days. So we just passed a hundred million volunteer voter contacts. So that's Ooh. door knocks and phone calls. Um we've we've not 40, so 47 million of those voter contacts have come since Labor Day. Um, and I think we're at like 35 million door knocks right now. Yeah. So well, congratulations on that. That's a hell of an effort you got to coordinate. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of my, just, it's, I mean, it's, I say my, it's ours. The RNC's bread and butter at this point. I mean, we don't do TV ads. We don't do a lot of other stuff, but mm-hmm. as, as a party apparatus, I think we do a, a get out the vote effort very well. And, yeah. and, um, the culture that we have all across the country with our teams, they just people just understand like what their role is in this in this system and kind of in the whole ecosystem. And you know, I would say it runs itself now, but I mean at this point it's we're a a, a finely tuned machine that's that's humming right now. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations, man. It's gonna pay off with a big wave tomorrow. So you've been you've been doing this a while. So every every podcast, I want somebody to tell me. Their favorite campaign story doesn't have to be a big race. It doesn't even have to be a win. It could be a loss. I don't care. I just want to hear a good story and a lesson you learned from it so that we could pass it on to some of these up and coming operatives. Yeah. I, one, I think I learned, I learned different lessons that impact me so much every day. And that's, I think, one of the unique opportunities I have here at the National Party that's probably different than campaigns is. I have 42 people out here, uh, kind of outside my door in, in the RNC that you know, ultimately report to me. And we have about 90 or so that are kind of like direct reports almost like across the country. And you, you get to deal with a lot of different folks and uh, a lot of different backgrounds and situations and all this stuff. So I, I learn something new all the time. But I think the the biggest the the thing that I learned the most about myself was in in 2017. I after 2016, I, I really wanted to go into the Trump administration, or at least I thought I did. I, I thought I for sure wanted to go do something. Um, and the political director at the time said, hey, there's a special election in Georgia. Like, we want you to go back and I want you to lead the RNC's uh, IE effort uh, in Georgia six uh, special election. Tom uh, Price had just become health and human services secretary. And Karen Handel was running against John Ossoff the first time. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I remember kind of talking about, yeah, I think I really want to do administration. And he's like, look, go do this. It'll be for about a hundred days. Go down there. There'll still be a spot for you if this is what you want to do afterwards. And we we had a brand new RNC chairman. Uh, Ryan had, had went over to the White House uh, and it was chief. Uh, I had, an, I had an, a new all kind of new bosses. And I kind of got thrown into a situation where I was, I was in over my head. They had all this kind of national attention on, on this race this is one of the, kind of the first bellwethers of the, the Trump presidency. Um, Georgia, the sixth district had been pretty reliably Republican for a while. I mean, guys like Newt Gingrich represented it. Um, but Hillary Clinton actually won the congressional district when Tom Price won it as well. Um, and I just kind of learned that I was, so far away from kind of my bosses here and there was so much going on that I think the, the thing that I learned the most is 
you just have to do the the right thing every day. Mm-hmm. That that there's no shortcut. That you can you can do all these things to make yourself look good, uh, to kind of embellish. But if you just do the right thing that's in front of you, then you're going to be successful. Um, we worked really hard again, and we didn't get a lot of attention. Um, the the handle campaign got a lot of attention. Uh, Ossoff's campaign got a lot of attention, but we kind of were in the background organizing volunteers, going out there, knocking doors, making phone calls. Um, we ultimately won that race. Uh, and then afterwards, I, I kind of kept the campaign bug. And my boss said, hey, do you, do you want to go into the administration now? I think there's a few things we could probably help you out with. And I was like, man, I'm ready for the next campaign. Where can I go? <laughs> and they're like, they like, well, Ed Gillespie's running for governor in Virginia. The, the primary had happened, I think, a couple of days before or a week before uh, the the runoff election. And I went straight from Georgia uh, to Richmond and, and got to work on Ed Gillespie's uh, campaign in, in 2017 when he ran for governor. And I think that just the biggest thing I learned is like I, w- I was ready for the, a, a bigger challenge. Yeah. And I think that we we limit ourselves so much to like what's up here in our head and the, the story that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really good article uh, that a friend shared with me about the the guy that was the first person to break the four minute mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and and everybody how, did. Yep. And everybody did. <laughs> yep. And that was, and, and I, and I, and I kind of, and I've, I've referenced that article a lot kind of in, in my political career, mainly because I was also a runner at one point in high school, but so many of the the limitations we put in ourselves, they're, they're mental they're in your head. And, and it's nothing else. And if you're going to tell yourself you can't do something, you're not going to be able to do it. Uh, but wow. when you're pushed and when you're challenged and, and you believe you can do it, more than likely you're going to succeed. Yeah, dude. That, I mean, obviously that's been my mentality also because, uh, you know, I'm I'm just a poor boy from Section 8 housing and everything in me. Like I have this natural part of me that that thinks I'm uh, less than, if that makes sense. And uh, not to make this like a counseling session, but you just have to convince yourself that. And you just have to keep telling yourself all the time that I can, I can start a business. I can go, uh, you know, I can go get the hot chick, my wife. Uh, it, it's just gorgeous and so far ahead of me and and everything. But you know, I could, I, I could get the hot chick. I could start a business. I can run a marathon. I could finish this twenty four hour. I could finish this fifty hour go ruck event on the beaches of Normandy. I can finish this, this this Ironman. Which now I'm in my head about not finishing the hundred miler, so that's that's just like stuck with me for that very reason, right? Because I know I know I can. But yeah, yeah you're right. I, I I I think that a lot of us political operatives kind of have a chip on our shoulder, and I, I think that's probably what makes us all similar in some ways. But yeah, I'm I'm the same way. It's I. I did not grow up like with my parents giving me everything. I always had to work hard for it too. And I, again, I think that the the people that win are successful. The the folks that have been on on your podcast that I've listened to. I mean, we all have similar stories. They just yep. put her head down and worked hard. You you didn't let things get in the way, and you know there are doors that are meant to be open, but there are walls that are meant to be run through sometimes too. That, dude, that's what's so unique. About- that I'm finding doing this podcast. Cause right before you, by the way, I just talked to Casey Phillips, if you know, Casey, um, yeah. and he's such an interesting guy, but everybody I've talked to, everybody's worked their ass off to where they've gotten. And I think you, like, when people meet me 
oh, this guy runs political campaigns um, and he wears fancy suits. He obviously comes from money and his parents introduced him to politics. Like everybody assumes that I grew up around politicians and then somehow got connected because my family were like large donors or something. And nobody I've talked to yet has been that person. Everybody has just fucking grinded their way to where they are right now. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone on my team out here and and I, you know, one of the kind of changing subjects a little bit, but like one of the things that I'm most proud of, and you, you kind of talk about this is we have a lot of first generation Americans uh, on our team out here. I mean, these folks, their parents came here or they came here with nothing or next yeah. to nothing. Um, and one of the really cool things we're doing at the RNC this cycle is um, uh, teaching what's called the Republican Civics Initiative. Uh, and at, at our minority uh, offices around the country, especially in Asian Hispanic communities, working with uh, United States Customs Immigration Services, you can become an approved tutor for people that want to take their immigration exam. People that are here legally that want to take cool. it. And I mean, we're helping people become American citizens. That's so and I mean, cool. like to me, like, yeah, that's that's the coolest thing. But again, that, that's the mentality that everyone on our team has and 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 the way that they think and the way that they're so kind of forward thinking and, and just the the opportunities that they that they have had in their life, it's because they went out and did it, whether it's their parents yeah. came here for the first time, they did, and then they they take that to political campaigns. Let me ask you this, and I wasn't planning at all on asking you this question, but since you're the political director and you brought up minorities. It seems to me that with a lot of white privileged Democrats pushing this woke agenda that they are, we have an oppor- a historic opportunity we've never had before to make inroads into the black and the Hispanic community. Don't don't you agree? I mean, like especially down south here where I live, most of these African Americans are religious. They're, they're most of them are social conservative. They're they're not buying this this shit that the Democrats are selling right now. I mean, do you do you see that too? And do you think it's time for the GOP to start making some more inroads? Yeah, uh, one I I kind of view it as um, more of a, a like class warfare. It's mm-hmm. these overeducated, high income folks that are they're trying to tell us that hey hey well hey look we have four degrees we're smarter than you yeah. don't worry about it and I, and the investments the RNC has made, I mean, we have 38 different community centers in minority neighborhoods across the country. It's in, they're in Cleveland, they're in, you know, Miami, they're in Vegas, all that stuff. But what we see there, it's just working class people. And that's, it's the same people that Donald Trump brought to the party in 2016 in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Ohio. And it's why I think that our party is doing so much better with this broad coalition. And it's, I would say it's not even necessarily because of, of race, but it's, it's kind of the, the working, the, the mentality that people yeah. have that it's in the different classes. I agree. But the GOP's only got so many resources, I guess. You've only got so much money. You can only hire so many people. And I, I mean, I, you're inside from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem that the, that any Republican entity, especially the GOP has the resources at the moment to dedicate to more minority outreach, I just I just see this wide open lane that I've never seen before. I guess is all I'm saying. And I don't know who tackles that. And I don't know where we find the resources to tackle that. I just I see this lane that I've, I've never seen. 
one, I think that Kevin McCarthy uh, has done a fantastic job. We, we Look, we have a more diverse group of Republican candidates than we've ever had before. And we'll have a yeah. more diverse group of incoming freshman uh, candidates. But in 2015, when we won, 50, or sorry, 2020, when we won 15 House seats, every one of the seats that we won in, in 2020, mm-hmm. female, veteran, or minority. That's awesome. We did not pick up any any seat with just a generic white dude like us. Yeah, right. Um, well, I'm really excited. I mean, obviously here we have Tim Scott and, you know, we're uh, the biggest campaign that we have at the moment is Herschel Walker's. So, you know, I I, I truly believe Herschel is going to win, whether we win in 30 days or tomorrow night, we will have two Southern black Republicans. And I think that's going to help. I mean, I think those two guys can can make a lot of inroads for us. Yeah, totally agree. Guys like Herschel, uh, you, you look at the the different uh, Hispanic Republicans across the country, whether it's yeah. down in Florida with uh, Congresswoman Salazar and uh, Jimenez, it's Myra Flores in Texas, uh, it's it's David Valadeo, Mike Garcia, it's mm-hmm. Young Kim, Michelle Steele, Juan Tiscamani. Like, go across like the whole country, and like the face of our party is is changing. It's and happening. I think that, yeah, yeah, you know why I think that there are. A lot of great things that we've done here at the party. A lot of it is just we have more people stepping up to run that look yeah. like the communities that represent. And that's going to be the GOP's best selling point is, mm-hmm. you know, hey, look, I, I am I am one of you. I'm from your I'm from this community and I'm a Republican because a lot of these people and, you know, you know this. Like, I mean, look, I grew up in northwest Georgia and, you know, granted, when I was born, it was starting to get a little bit more kind of Republican ish kind of after 94 um, but there, you know, there weren't, you couldn't fit, uh, the, the Republican party in a phone booth yeah. up there. And that's, and that's the same way in some of these places in California and South Texas and South Florida before, but, but not anymore. I mean, yeah. the, the, this kind of changing of dynamics has just been great to see. Yeah. So it's happening naturally without us even having to put a big effort into it. But speaking of Georgia, the worst part of working for Herschel Walker, the only bad part of working for Herschel Walker is I found myself pulling for UGA on Saturday and I hate myself for it now, but in my brain, and it's so illogical and irrational, but in my brain, there's a correlation between UGA winning and Herschel Walker winning. So I was actually pulling for UGA for the first time in my life. And as a Gamecock, I hate myself for it. Look, (laughs) I think we should all be rooting for the Bulldogs to save America uh, and also win the Senate. So I, I, look, the good I, thing I, is our, our common enemy of Nick Saban is has lost two games now. So we, we don't have we don't have to worry about Alabama anymore. We can just pull for Georgia. I was Herschel. pulling for LSU louder than I was pulling for my Gamecocks even this weekend. <laughs> oh man! Well, brother, I appreciate you taking the time. And when I'm up there, um, I might need to be. Yeah, I'm up there even next week. I'm going to give you a shout because I want to come hit uh, the CrossFit gyms with you while I'm up there, man. Come on. Love to have you. All right, man. Good luck tomorrow. All right. Thank you, Wes. See you, bud.